Good morning, everyone. What a great encouragement to mentorship. I would like us, if you have your Bibles, to um, turn to one of the most well-known passages in Scripture, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and uh, we'll read from verse 28 uh, to the end of the chapter. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. Those He called, He also justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life? is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we have up on the screen here is a picture taken from Pilgrim's Progress, where we have the man intent upon raking, trying to find some riches, ignoring the fact that there is a crown being offered to him. And it's a picture of the Christian who has been privileged by God, and yet so often is taken up with the struggles of every day. Thank you, we can put this muckraker to sleep. But it's a reality, not uh, just for Bunyan's time, but it's reality for us today. It was a reality for the church to whom Paul was writing this letter. They were struggling. And Paul is reminding these Christians of the privileges that they have as children of the living God. Now, we can all identify with struggles because struggles are not just in Bunyan's time or in the time that Paul wrote this letter. We all have struggles. We know what struggles mean as Christians, and there are a variety of different reasons why we struggle. Temptations, direct attacks from the enemy, the, the indwelling sin that we have in our hearts. We know what it is to struggle, and yet as one 
all Puritan writers said. The greatest hindrance in the Christian life is not lack of effort, but a lack of understanding of our privileges in Christ. And so that's what I would like to do this morning, is to remind us through this chapter of the privileges that we have as God's children, recognizing that mission springs from privilege rather than from duty. Paul has been teaching in this chapter that Christians are freed from condemnation. They have been given the Spirit of God who helps us in our weakness, we who are the adopted children of the King. We have an assured hope that in our daily suffering and struggles, God's gracious purposes will prevail. That's what he's been saying up until verse 31. And from verse 31 to the end, he asks five questions of applications to help the, those Christians in Rome understand what that means for them in their daily struggles. And I sum summarized it in three ways. First of all, God gives to his children. We see that in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has given us his son. It's expressed here that he didn't spare his son. God didn't spare his son the agonies of the curse that sin brought in. He didn't spare him the physical pain and torture of the cross. He didn't spare him the agonies of hell the cup of suffering. But what did he do? He gave him up. It was the Lord's will to crush and cause him to suffer. That's what we read in uh, Isaiah. And Paul is reminding these Christians that it was God's heart for them to give them his own son. Why did God give his own son up for these Christians? It was, as we read in verse 31, it was because God is for us. Sometimes there, there is an impression about God that God is against, that God is, has a malevolent intent towards us. Scripture says that God is for us in Christ. God so loved the world but what did he do? That he gave his only begotten Son. And so the Lord Jesus is the proof of the Father's love for us. Jesus being given up to the death is the very evidence that the Father loves us. We have some friends um, from the States who have just come with us this week, and they're in the process of settling in to this country, joining us in the office, and they're going from one office to the other, trying to register to identify with what it means to uh, living here in this country. And often what they have to produce is their passport to show who they are as evidence of who they are. And so for the Christian, how do we know that God loves us? The proof of that is the gift of the Lord Jesus for us. His death 2,000 years ago is a living testimony for us that God's love is genuine, it's true, 
and it's meaningful for us. And so Paul says, God has given us his Son. Then he adds in that verse, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So he argues from the greater to the lesser. Because God has given his Son, how then will he not give us all things? If I could illustrate it this way, if a fiancé agrees with his prospective wife, I will buy the ring, I will buy the house, I will buy the furnishings, I will buy the cars, but I'm not sure about buying the cheese grater. That's the argument that, that Paul is saying here. God has given us all things in Christ, and so for the issues that you are facing each day, will God be niggardly in his love towards you? No. God has shown the fullness of his love to us in Christ, and so he offers to us in the situations that we are facing that which we need in order to move on with him. And as God ministers to us according to the different needs that we have, we see that along with him, the Lord Jesus with us, so God graciously ministers to our needs. And so what is your need this morning? What is your situation? Carol facing the challenges of reorientation to ministry there, changing flats. Others have challenges of different roles in their work, perhaps, difficulties in their marriage, disappointments with exams, uncertainty about the future. Paul is reminding these Christians, God is for you. The Lord Jesus is with you. And he, with his love, wants to minister to that need. So God gives. But we see also that God protects his children. Whatever attack comes to the child of God, he is secure. He goes on in verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. He's speaking there of that sense of guilt, that sense of culpability that we sense. And he's reminding them, because you are in Christ, because you are justified, that guilt, that culpability, Christ has dealt with. That guilty conscience, the Lord Jesus has washed all away. And we know ourselves that sometimes we accuse ourselves. Sometimes we would want to condemn ourselves. Sometimes Satan comes with that accusing finger. Paul reminds them, you are justified. You are safe, you are secure from his attacks. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Not only do you have a Savior who has saved you from your sin, you have a Savior who is at the right hand of God the Father who is interceding for you. And so as the Father looks upon you, he looks upon you as one whose sin has been washed away, who has Christ's righteousness, one who is accepted 
into the holy presence of a thrice holy God. And as we seek in our weakness and in our feebleness to come to God and seek to please Him, we have that assurance that the God who knows us, who understands us, is praying for us. It's not the um, Lady of the Mountain, I forget now how Carol described um, the, the shrine there, but we have a living Savior who understands us, who has given Himself for us. Hebrews 13, 6, the Lord is my helper, of whom shall I be afraid? And so what are you facing this morning? Maybe you're not facing the same struggles as these Christians in, in, the, in Rome in Paul's time. Maybe you are facing those disappointments. Maybe there are accusations coming to your heart or coming to your own setting. Paul reminds us that however difficult those struggles may be, you as a child of God, you have confidence, not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ has done for you. The third thing that we see is that God commits to His children. And we see that from verse 35 right to the end. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Paul is considering these various different circumstances that might come into our lives. He lists them all, trying to imagine the most painful and the most difficult scenario possible. And he says, it's impossible that whatever situation comes to you, that you be separated from the love of God in Christ. He recognizes in verse 36 that struggles are part of what it means to be a Christian. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Yes, life is difficult. Life is tough. This is the daily experience that we have. But in those daily struggles, what is that assurance that we have in verse 37? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. God empowers us, God sustains us, God enables us in those struggles by His presence and by His grace so that we might live for Him and bring praise to His great name. I just want to illustrate this by somebody who I met on a recent trip in the Indian Ocean Islands that I visited last month. Those islands are dominated by Islam, and God wonderfully worked in the life of one man called Hakim. He came to faith, and he was ostracized by his family. He was told that he could no longer come to the house, no longer have meals at the house. The job that he had was taken away from him because of his faith in Christ. And from every point of view, from a social point of view, he had no hope, given that now he was owning Christ instead of following Muhammad. 
And so it was a real joy for me in interacting with him to see the fulfillment of what we're talking about here. Yes, he had daily struggles. He wasn't sure how he was going to eat the next day. He wasn't sure what the future held for him in terms of job or in terms of uh, a family. And yet he realized he was testifying to the power of Christ's love in his heart, that even though his mother and father would forsake him, he knew that the Lord Jesus was with him. That even though others in his society was hating him, he knew the love of Christ in his heart. That same reality is for us today. Whatever our situation is, whatever the pain, whatever the discouragement, whatever the confusion that you're currently facing, Paul is reminding us here of God's commitment to you, to empower you, to walk with you, to enable you to come successfully to the end, bringing praise and glory and honor to his name. Because that's how he concludes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see what he says? Anything else in all creation, whatever it might be, nothing, absolutely nothing is going to separate you from God's love in Christ. And so with that encouragement, these Christians in Rome were to continue seeking to follow Christ and to bring praise to His name. But I'd like us to read two verses beyond the end, the end of chapter 8, because as we will realize, this letter was not written in chapter form, in verse form, it was written as one letter. I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What is Paul saying here? He's spoken about God's love, what God has done for him in Christ, and now he's speaking about anguish. You would have, if we had been writing this, we would have spoken of joy and peace and something of that nature perhaps, but Paul here is speaking about anguish. Why is he speaking about anguish? Because he knows that his own brothers, his own family, his own nation doesn't enjoy these privileges that he's just enlisted here. His nation, the Jewish nation, was in the darkness of unbelief, having rejected Christ. And so, Paul has a heart for his people. And with a heart for his people, he is concerned that they should know Christ as well. And I'd like to remind us this morning, as the church of the Lord Jesus here, God's love that is ministered to you through Christ is for you 
but ultimately and supremely it's for his glory as others also receive the good news and come to faith in him. See, God's grace changes hearts. It changes attitudes. It changes perspectives. As we receive God's grace, so then, slowly by slowly, as they say in East Africa, our hearts and attitudes are changed to be like those of, of God himself. And so the riches of God's grace is not simply for us to enjoy. The riches of God's grace is, us, is for us to receive in order that we might reflect and take that grace to others. And so as Elaine mentioned earlier on, what is your mission today? Whether it's your neighbor, whether it's your work colleague, whether it's further afield, the mission is to proclaim Christ and to share the good news of this grace that he has shown to us in our Savior. Mission flows from a delighting in God and what he has done for us. And so as we appreciate more and more the greatness of God's mercy and love to us, so then by the Spirit we are, we are encouraged to take this good news to others. Mission exists because worship doesn't. That's what Piper has reminded us. And so where we see those who don't know worship, we engage in mission, whether it's with our neighbor or further afield. Let's appreciate and give praise to God for the privileges that he has given to us. But let's not keep those privileges for ourselves, but let's take the good news of God's grace and share it with others. I just want to conclude just by reminding you of one song, Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. God is gracious to us. He makes his face to shine upon us, not simply that we feel good, but that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all the nations. We are stewards of the privileges that God gives to us. What did we see at the beginning? We saw a man who was taken up with the things that were immediately in front of him, forgetting the privileges that God was giving to him. And so God has given to us all that we need through his Son, the Lord Jesus. Let's acknowledge that Give, give thanks to him for his unchanging love. And having received that message of grace, let's take it to others who are still in darkness. <laughs>